Welcome back to the South Harbor Church Podcast. South Harbor is a part of the Harbor Churches, which exist to help people find their way back to God. This week, Pastor Chris brings us a message where we take a look at a moment in Abraham's life where he makes some pretty poor decisions. As always, for more information about how you can become a part of the South Harbor Church community, stick around after the message. And now, let's head over to Pastor Chris. Uh, if we have not had the opportunity to meet, my name is Chris Thompson. Uh, I am the South Harbor Students Director here and Harbor Students Pastor. So uh, I get to hang out with all of the students here, uh, sixth through 12th grade, which is incredible. It's been a blast so far for the first couple of months. Uh, and I get to help uh, bring oversight and direction and clarity and DNA and culture and all that fun stuff to uh, the rest of our youth pastors that are in our organization. And so uh, it's kind of hitting both two things that I, that I love. I love to hang out with students, and I love to raise up the next generation uh, of leaders. So I'm really excited to get to teach to you this morning. Uh, a little bit about myself. Uh, on the screen here, you'll see a picture of my family. Uh, that's me, the tall, bald guy. Uh, my wife is next to me here. This is a trip we went on to the Smoky Mountains, uh, which was just incredible. If you've never been, I highly encourage you to go. It's fantastic. Uh, my wife and I met on Facebook like nine years ago, so... Before, there was just filled with trolls. I think I found the last one. That was great. Uh, so we started talking there. We've been married for eight years. We have two kids. Uh, my daughter, Mila, is five and a half now. Uh, she is funny and spunky and uh, sassy, as many five-year-old uh, girls are. I often call her like my five-nager. Like she is just... She's great, and she is a handful all at the same time. So she is wonderful. She often has like a song on her lips or words to say that are just incredible. She brings so much light and life to my life. Uh, and then my son Ronan is uh, two. Well, he's one and a half. He'll be two in August. Uh, he is one of the goofiest kids I've ever met in my life. The faces that he can pull are hilarious. And yet, I, my dad was saying this to me the other day when, when he was hanging out with him. He's like, there's like this deep logical thinking going on behind his eyes when he looks at things. Like he is just studying and examining everything uh, that's going on around him. And it's just really incredible to watch kids grow up. And my wife uh, is amazing and a huge support to me and our family and just does so many incredible things that she does not get enough thanks for. Um, so I'll say it publicly. So, uh, you know, there you go. Uh, so this is my incredible family. We lived in Chicagoland for the past five years until January when we moved back up here to take this position, and it's been uh, great. And one of the opportunities that I get to do is I get to teach uh, to each of you uh, this morning and every so often. And so as many of you know, we've been in this series in Genesis covering the life of Abram most recently. We've been in Genesis since the beginning of the year, and we're going for about 40 weeks throughout the year because we believe that this book is filled with all sorts of incredible, amazing stories. I often think of Genesis as kind of like this big episodic tale that you get like these mini bite-sized stories. Are there any Lord of the Rings fans in the room? Okay, there's like two of us. Great, so this might not hit. Oh, then, then one sprung up really quick. You're like, oh, wait, I gotta get on this. There's this book, The Silmarillion, that's like all of these stories, but they're really short, and sometimes they don't fully make sense. Like, why is this important? Genesis is kind of like that, where there's all of these stories. They're somewhat short. We don't really fully understand why they're super important. And the one we're gonna look at this morning, the story of Abram and Sarai and Hagar is one of those stories. And yet, it's one of those stories that I find to be extremely important in our day and age because it's the wrestling that we watch Abraham between these promises that God makes 
And yet what happens when we don't see those promises coming to fruition? What do we do in those moments? That's the kind of dichotomy that we're going to work with this morning. In my studies at Fuller, I'm in a doctoral program there. Our, our team is talking about this for the next generation. That, that is the big question that they are asking. Like we hear, like help, help us understand why God and why faith is super important. Because we've watched an entire world that believes in all these promises and yet kind of looks like it's going down the drain pretty quickly, right? Like these two things are what we're working with. And the story of Abraham, Sarah, and Hagar that we're going to look at this morning is incredible. But a little bit of backstory of how we got here, because I know we had spring break and Easter, and it's been a weird season. So I want to run like two minutes through this story. So this is the land of Mesopotamia, kind of modern day Iraq here. Uh, that's the little guy, Abram, Abram there, that'll kind of walk us through our journey. He's from the land of Ur, which is in the bottom right corner, kind of at the delta of the Euphrates and the Tigris River. Very fertile land, very religious land. There was a massive ziggurat uh, that was there that was to this god. Does anybody remember what the god's name was that Tim shared with us? Nana, yeah. Uh, There was a lot of songs like, na, 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 come on, right? I think that was like Lady Rihanna. Was that Rihanna? I don't remember. Whoever it was, there was also a song from Remember the Titans, na, 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 hey, 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 goodbye. Funny story, the Blackhawks kind of invented that song into, or co-opted it into uh, their hockey team. Blackhawks stink, so you don't need to know that. That's okay. So anyways, uh, they live down in the land of Ur. Him and his family feel this call to go up and to Israel, but remember, they couldn't go across the Arabian Desert because it was too dry, so they went up to the land of Haran, uh, signified by that line, about 600 miles. Uh, we're there, him and his family settled for a while. We don't know how long they settled, uh, but while they were there, Abram's father, Terah, dies. Aw. Rest in peace. So while he's there, his father dies. Uh, But in the midst of that, Abram feels this call to need to leave his father's household. Remember, the gods were very territorial. That's what they believed back in the day. So they went all the way up to Haran and then stopped because they were going to leave the land of Nana to go into Israel, and Terah didn't want to do that. So Abram had to step out in faith to head to the land that God would promise him, leaving, his, leaving the bait of all of the family household, this sort of security blanket, all of the stuff that went along with that that Tim talked about. And he finds himself in Israel where the story of Abram really kind of starts and takes off. So to this point, Abram has made it all the way to the Gev Desert. Lot has gotten this land. Abram's had to go and like rescue Lot from being captured. There's this battle of like 12 kings. Abram comes out, he wins, and he says, hey, I don't want any of your riches that you want to give to me in this space. Keep it uh, for yourself. Which brings us then to our story today of Abram, Sarai, and Hagar. Remember last week, Tim talked about those covenants. Do you remember this story, Genesis 15? If you don't, I want to recap it real quick for you. Uh, Here's these words from chapter 15 of Genesis, just to kind of get our uh, bearings for where we are leading into the story, because it's super important. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless, and the one who will inherit my estate is Eleazar of Damascus? And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Essentially, Abram is asking this question, coming out of his rescuing of Lot. He's kind of gotten some stability. He's starting to become a little bit wealthy. But he's saying, like, Hey, all of this stuff that I've kind of accumulated is going to go to nobody. 
It's going to go to my servant, right? We still deal with this today with like wills and trusts and estates and right, all that, right? Like when parents die and they leave things, like if there's nobody for it to go to, it just kind of ends up in probate and then it goes all of these different places. Like Abram wants to make sure that his kids are taken care of and his servants and his family are taken care of, but he doesn't have any kids to get to this point. It's kind of like I envision this moment of like, God having this promise saying like, hey, I am your shield. I'm your very great reward. Don't be afraid, Abram. We make all these promises to our own kids and then our kids come back and say like, that's not fair. Has anybody ever dealt with that phrase before? That's not fair. Like what's going on here? Like you promised mom, you promised dad. And as good parents, we yell and scream. No, we don't do that. Uh, We just kind of sit and take it, right? This is kind of that moment where God just kind of sits and takes Abram saying like, hey, this isn't fair. Like I need family because otherwise this is just going to go to Eleazar of Damascus. And then God kind of responds out of that, takes a deep breath and says, then the word of the Lord came to him in verse four. Uh, This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside, uh, in a tent somewhere and said, look up at the sky and count the stars. If indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Uh, He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans. This kind of reminder of like, look at how powerful uh, I am. I will take care of you. And he said, I will give you this possession to take possession of this land, to take possession of it. But Abram said, sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? And this was the story where he had to go get the goat and the ram and the heifer and the pigeon and the dove and cut them in half on the side of the valley. And then God kind of walked through the blood of the animals, this blood path, this covenant, right? We talked about covenants last week. These just really deep, meaningful promises that essentially God was saying like, hey, if, if I don't live up to my end of the bargain, if I don't give you offspring, let what happened to these animals happen to me is essentially what was happening. So God is making a very serious promise to Abram in this story, which brings us to our story in chapter 16 of Abram, Sarai, and Hagar. So this is the exact thing that happens right before it, exactly right before it. And then this is how the passage starts. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had bore him, borne him no children. All that stuff that we just recapped happened in 10 years, comes out of that with this covenant. And the very next thing that it says on purpose is now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. And this is a big deal because a firstborn son meant everything to your family. You remember back a couple weeks ago when they talked about the Beit Av, this household family uh, unit. Your household, your family was everything. It was your protection. It was your medical care. It was your food. It was your safety. It was literally everything to you. And in the ancient Israelite uh, culture, there was this, uh, this extra emphasis put on the firstborn. This is really all kind of the ancient Semitic region had these, uh, this, this word bekor, uh, it it's essentially means firstborn. We see this kind of come up time and time again in the early stories of Genesis. Probably the most famous one dealing with a firstborn was Jacob and Esau. You remember this story where Esau was the firstborn son and Jacob tricks him into getting the birthright. Having the birthright was a big deal because when a father died, all of his land and possessions were split up among family members, but the firstborn, especially it being a son, would get a double portion of everything that everybody else got. Why? Because this firstborn would become the patriarch of the family. 
They were seen as this safety net. They were seen as like, hey, if somebody else's stuff runs out, at least the firstborn has multitudes of extra that they can continue to give to the family to make sure that they were taken care of. And so they are longing deeply for this Bechor to come up out of their family, and yet it has not been fruitful for them. And I'm sure it's not for lack of trying because, they, because there's so much significance put on that firstborn son. So there's a lot at stake to have this firstborn son. There's a lot at stake, and that doesn't want, they don't want their stuff to go to Eleazar of Damascus. They want it to stay in the family. And I can't imagine that sort of pressure. Maybe you can imagine that sort of pressure, though. Uh, if this is week one of trying for kids, there's probably not that much pressure. If this is week 10 or 10 years in, that's a little bit different, wondering, is this going to happen? They're only getting older. Their future of their household is only becoming more and more uncertain every single day. Let me connect us to that story a little bit. Let me connect us to that story because like we will find out in a minute about Abram and Sarai, the story reminds me all that we have things that happen in life that make our future seem a little less certain. Some of you have been through some stuff uh, in life that you can attest to that. Uh, For some of you, maybe you are currently students in high school uh, or college, and everything seems to be going right. Your entire life has been figured out in really good ways. You're about to graduate, go into the work field, whatever uh, it is. But one day when you come home, especially for those of you that are in like middle school or high school, you come home and your parents say, hey, I need to talk to you. Uh, Little Johnny, this is nothing that you've done, uh, but we are, our relationship is not working out anymore. And so your father and I are going to get a divorce. And what all of a sudden seemed super certain for little Johnny uh, has now become way less certain. What do we do in those moments where things become uncertain? You're a parent. You have a job, pretty nice one. You've just gotten a promotion uh, a couple years ago. and, And the life you've always wanted is finally here. Right? You, you can afford whatever you want. You've gotten out of debt or are on your way to becoming out of debt or debt really isn't that big of a deal. You have it, but you're able to afford everything. And all of a sudden your boss calls you and says, hey, uh, I need you to come into my office at 9 a.m. on Monday. And you learn that your entire division is being dissolved uh, and done away with. And while you might get a severance package for it, uh, your future just became a little bit more uncertain What do you do in those moments when your future becomes a little more uncertain? You're an empty nester. Uh, Your kids have gone off and graduated. You're anticipating uh, grandkids in the future, and you can go on vacations. You can visit your family around the United States, and you go in for a routine colonoscopy, and all of a sudden they tell you, uh, hey, we want to run some more tests. We found some things uh, that that are not great looking uh, to us. And so your future of all these travels and these plans of where you're going to go now just became a little bit more uncertain. What do you do in these moments? This moment that Abram and Sarai, this promises that God had for them, it says that they have not borne any children because their future has just become more uncertain. And the question that 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 we need to see in the story is what do they do next? And I think what they do next answers probably a lot of the same questions about what we do next in those moments when the future becomes uncertain. Would you continue reading with me in verse one uh, of chapter 12? 
But she, being Sarai, had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. Uh, Remember, some things that we've talked about in this series. When you see either a name or a place, they're super important. So I want to talk about both Egypt uh, and Hagar here. So I get to do that. Uh, I learned something from Tim in my time here that uh, South Harbor loves to play games when we look at the scriptures. So I invented one for you today. I hope it doesn't fail, Uh, but we'll go for it. How many of you have ever seen the show How I Met Your Mother? Wow, a lot more How I Met Your Mother fans than Lord of the Rings fans. You should be ashamed. Just kidding. Not, anyways. Uh, so, so there's this game that uh, Barney, who's one of the characters, plays with his friend Ted. Ted is kind of awkward, kind of is not great at introducing himself to women or starting up a conversation. Ted wants to find the love of his life, but doesn't know how. And so Barney, his wingman, will do this really awkward thing where like, he'll kind of like go talk to this person first. Uh, and then like in mid-conversation, we'll say like, have you met Ted? And introduce him to you. So really awkwardly, I'm going to like say, hey, let's meet Egypt together. Have you met Egypt this morning? Okay. Uh, let me take you here for a second back to Genesis 12, because this is not the first time that we've come up against Egypt in this story. But we also didn't really look at this story uh, when Abram and Sarai went into Egypt uh, the first time in a ton of uh, depth. At least I don't know that I was here that week. So this will be helpful for me if we didn't. So forgive me if we did. Genesis chapter 12, starting in verse 10. Uh, Now there was a famine in the land and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine uh, was severe. Now we probably know a little bit about Egypt from geography class. Any geography class fans in the house? Wonderful. All right. So I might be the only one. So in seventh grade, I remember taking geography class uh, and Mr. Tracy was my teacher. Side note, uh, Geography class was the first time where I was asked to have somebody cheat off of my paper. Jokes on them, I didn't really study for geography. I didn't like it. So uh, I said no. Jimmy and Brittany, they would have failed if they would have cheated off of me. Uh, But one thing that I did learn about the Middle East, uh, if we can throw that picture up there, is if this is the picture kind of Egypt and Israel, what do you notice in the lower left-hand corner? It's very green, It's very lush. And where Abram is in this kind of Israel corridor here, uh, it's way more brown much of the year. And so there's a famine in the land. And they say this because Egypt is the place that they go to find sustenance, to find food. Uh, They go to Egypt because there was a severe famine in the land. This area down in the lower uh, left corner really, I mean, it, it does get drier, but it never fully dries out because what river runs through Egypt? The Nile. There's this massive Nile Delta, and it's a fairly predictable river. There's two branches of it down south. There's uh, the Blue Nile, which is the less predictable one. It's kind of through the desert, less rain. It doesn't fully get saturated and bring its water to uh, Egypt. But there's the White Nile that goes through jungle and flows from Lake Victoria, which is a very sustainable form of river. And so Egypt became this place when people had famines, they would regularly run to because of its predictability. And we'll see this time and time again in Abram's story and the rest of the Israelites' uh, life. We see this with Joseph and his family when they uh, were running out of food just one generation later. So he goes to Egypt to get food. Uh, And then we go to verse, uh, let's see, verse 11. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but will let you live. 
Uh, say you are my sister instead, so that I will be treated well for your sake and my life will be spared because of you. Uh, I can't imagine many wives that would be super ha- happy about that nowadays. Uh, but when Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that Sarai was a very beautiful woman. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh and she was taken into his palace. He treated Abram well for her sake. And Abram acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants, and camels. Essentially, Abram became extremely wealthy in this land. Uh, Remember, just before this, Abram leaves and goes out of the land of Ur of the Chaldeans, out of Nana's land. God promises that he'll take care of him, sustain him, and then a famine hits. And there's this question of like, okay, God, you've promised to take care of me. You've promised to feed me. You've promised to keep me sustained here with my family. But it doesn't quite seem like it's working. But hey, here's this other region over here that's extremely fertile and will take care of me. Abram learns in this moment that when things are uncertain, that maybe when things aren't going his way, that he can go over here and take control of it himself and make sure that his family is taken care of. I don't know about you, but this is pretty much my story growing up in West Michigan in a nutshell. Uh, Growing up, I learned all of these good covenantal promises, all these things that God was supposed to, you know, provide for me and take care of me and sustain me. And I grew up also in this culture in West Michigan where like, I mean, maybe you don't know this, but maybe you do. So I hope I'm not bursting a bubble. Uh, But we all like to live with the sort of like armor plating on ourselves. Like we don't want to let people see that we don't have it all together. Maybe I'm the only one uh, with that. I see some chuckles, so probably not. Uh, we all live that way. So on the one hand, we, we, we understand these covenantal promises, and yet we have this facade that we want to keep. And I learned very early on that, yes, those promises are good, but I can also take control of my own life to keep that facade up, even though I truly believe God's promises. And most of the time, it would go well for me, Right? So so Abram learns in this moment that yes, while God's promises are good and I believe in them, at the same time, whenever they don't seem to be going my way, I can step over here into Egypt and have my needs met and taken care of, okay? Hold that in uh, in your mind a little bit because we're gonna pick that back up Uh, again. I wanna uh, play that game one more time. Have you met uh, Ted? But this time I wanna play the game, have you met Hagar? Uh, Because this is really important to understand about Hagar and the word Egyptian at the same time. Uh, In the ancient uh, Midrash, for those of you, Tim loves Midrash, I love Midrash. It's these beautiful sets of books that essentially are commentaries on the ancient scriptures. It was rabbis and teachers looking at the ancient scriptures and saying, okay, these things don't fully make sense to us. We need to fill in the gaps a little bit to help people understand the point that we're trying to make. So they specifically name Hagar, and there's a story around Hagar. While it's not supposed to be held as truth, it holds some significance to help make the point for the story. So Hagar was believed in the ancient Midrash to be Egyptian royalty. Uh, she was looked at uh, as, because her name essentially means to receive, uh, to receive a gift, right? Uh, it was believed that Pharaoh gave Hagar to Sarai as a gift, Because Pharaoh saw how powerful this God was, that when Sarai was given, uh, the end of that story was that they all started getting sick. Uh, They all started getting these boils and diseases. And Pharaoh essentially said like, whoa, you didn't tell us that this was your wife. You're God's powerful. Get out of here. Take all the stuff 
uh, that you had and go and flee from here uh, because we don't want her. And so at the same time, it was believed that Pharaoh gave Hagar because he said, there's something there at the same time. And so Hagar is sent with Abram and Sarai back to the promised land. We hear these first words again. Now Sarai had borne Abram no children. And yet here's this Egyptian, remember very fertile land. Abram can run there. Sarai can run there uh, when they're in need. And oh, there's this woman, Hagar, who's here. We have this new problem like we had the first time where there was a famine and now we've run out of food, so we're gonna go. Hey, we have no children. Hey, here's this Egyptian woman. The ancient rabbis are trying to help us see again that Egypt will always be this crutch for Abram and Sarah. And while it does go well sometimes, there are also problems that they run into because for them, Egypt equaled certainty. They had learned that a while ago. Abram goes twice to Egypt. Shortly after uh, this, he lays with uh, Hagar and it says in verse four, the end of verse four, when she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put your slave in, I put my slave in your arms. And now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. And then Sarai mistreated Hagar. And so she fled from her. Now, the good news is, is that God didn't forsake Hagar. He took care of her uh, in the wilderness, brought her up, raised her child. But this isn't the last time that we'll have problems with Hagar and uh, and Ishmael, who their son is, when Sarai uh, becomes pregnant. But again, we see God making these promises to Abram. And Abram, after learning the first time, like, hey, I can run to Egypt, and there was basically no consequences. Like, I walked away with a ton of money, and, and, and my wife's still in my care. And this time he goes, and it doesn't go so well for him, right? There's often this dichotomy between God's, God's promises to us and our own control and trust in a situation that don't always live super well and play well together. Sometimes they work out well in our favor and, and, and that's great and that's fine. And yet what we learn is we're just reinforcing in our minds that, hey, when this doesn't work out, look at over here, this worked out really, really well for us until it doesn't. And that's what Abram and Sarai learn in this situation. I heard this quote from a pastor in Oklahoma, Pastor Craig Rochelle, in his uh, Sunday sermon on Easter. He said, what we try to control the most is usually where we trust God the least. To help illustrate this a little bit, I have, um, I need a stool, so I'm going to grab this one. Uh, How many of you went to camp when you were kids? Some of you may remember uh, this, or some of you are camp counselors. There's an old skit or in youth group, they used to do this skit where there was a stool, right? Where this person would be sitting on their stool and it's kind of seen as like your throne uh, and you make all of your decisions from the throne. Uh, whatever you want to do before you meet Jesus, like this is, this is your space. You get to make all of the decisions. And then this person has this moment where they accept Jesus uh, as their Lord and Savior and give over control of their life. And so they hop off of the stool and they move over. And the second character, usually like a a leader or an adult from the group or whatever, comes and sits on uh, the stool and says, God, you know, this is is yours now. Lead me. Do with with my life what what you would want. Uh, And then slowly God gets comfortable and says, hey, this is really cool. Like, I'm, I'm glad that you're giving over control to this. 
Uh, and then you see a group of friends walk up from the other side of the stage, and you see this person start to inch closer back to the stool. So maybe this is clicking and bringing back maybe good memories or terrible memories all at the same time. I don't know. But you see them start to like share the stool, right? And you see them like scooch God off as these students ask them to make a decision that maybe wouldn't be in line with what God wanted. And then this person, like Jesus taps them on the shoulder and says, hey, uh, you know what? What gives? What are you doing? And they're like, oh man, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Like, you're right. Your way is better. Like, this for me reminds me of this story of at the same time, we have all these promises that God has made to us. And at the same time, we all love and we've learned things that are certain in our lives that can get us out of a jam and we can take control of a situation really, really easily. It's my story in a nutshell. It's Abram's story. It's the Israelite story. I have a feeling that this is all of our stories in some ways where we hold dearly God's promises and yet wrestle with control and trust in our lives. But here's the good news for us, especially post-Easter. Even though we will screw up time and time again and we'll always live in this in-between between these two places, Hebrews 4, 15 through 16 reminds us of this. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize uh, with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. If nothing else in the story of Genesis, this is the third or fourth or maybe fifth time that we've seen God still take Abram back. In chapter 17, we see him make a new covenant again, renewing that covenant of old that he will have children, even though he just royally screwed up and caused chaos in his family and went against what God had fully intended, God still entered close to him. The story of Adam and Eve, when they screwed up, it was not a harsh God coming down and punishing them. It was God walking through the garden and knowing what happened said, Adam and Eve, where are you? He longed for them. He was sad and he longed for them and he wanted to be with them still. We see this with Cain and Abel where Cain kills his brother Abel and yet God comes down, not as an angry, vindictive God, but he comes down and says, what have you done? And then he marks Cain with this mark that says, hey, I'm going to protect you from everybody else that is going to want to kill you because of what you've done. If we see nothing else, that we see God's promises are true for us. He longs to have those promises come true. And yet even when we vie for control and we royally screw up, just like Abraham and Sarai, God still enters in and loves us in the midst of it. This is why I love the scriptures. Because today I'm reminded that God has done this for so incredibly long. And I hope that as you go throughout your week this week, whether you royally screw up or you're living fully into God's promises, you will remember that God loves you in the midst of it, no matter what you do or who you are or what you've done uh, in your life, that God will always love you and always invite you back fully into his promises. And this morning, I want to pray with you uh, as the band leads us one more time uh, in a song to kind of just in our hearts and in our minds, lay all of these things that we're carrying, the places that we run to for certainty in the midst of God promises, lay those at Jesus' feet this morning as he is the high priest that can do something about it and enter into it with us. So would you pray with me? God, we thank you for stories like Abram and Sarai. We thank you for those moments of uh, clarity where we can recognize ourselves in this story as people who do truly long 
for God, your promises to be true in our lives, and yet when we don't see them coming and working out exactly the way that we wanted them to, how we so often run for the things that we can control and back to old ways and, and, and things that we found work in our past, God, would we be able to lay those at your feet both now, tomorrow when we wake up, Tuesday when we wake up, and so on and so forth for the rest of our lives. So God, we love you. We're thankful that you are a God that comes back closer to us, uh, even in the midst of our failures. So God, we love you, uh, and we will talk to you soon. Amen. We hope that this week's message has brought you both some challenge and some blessing. For more information about how you can become a part of the South Harbor Church community, find us on the web at www.southharbor.org or find us on Facebook and Instagram at South Harbor Church. And on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m., you can find our service streamed live on our Facebook page. And so from all of us here at South Harbor and the Harbor Churches, we want to wish you a blessed week.